know the days of resolutions are over. Obviously, this was something right after Christmas, and we decided to take it up and take it up on Wednesday night. Of course, it's gone a little longer than anticipated, but it's okay. It's February 14th, and we're still making resolutions. Let us. And so tonight, we're going to uh, study a number of them. The first one, everybody say, let us consider one another. Second one, let us lay aside every weight and sin. And then last but not least, let us run. Let us run. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, run on. Somebody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. You may have heard, you may have heard the story of John Stephen Akwari. He was a marathon runner from Tanzania who finished last there he is, finishing last. That's him. He finished last in the 1968 Olympics in the long-distance running marathon. He was a marathon runner. In 1968, he went to Mexico City to the Olympics, and he finished last. But no last-place finisher in a marathon ever finished quite so last as John did. You see the bandage around his right leg. He was injured along the way, and he hobbled into the stadium almost an hour after the rest of the runners had already finished. His leg was bloodied and bandaged. It was more than an hour after the rest of the runners had completed the race. In fact, the rest of the runners had left, and only a few spectators filled the stands when Akwari finally crossed the finish line, which you see there. They asked him, after the race, why he kept running knowing he was over an hour behind. Despite his pain, why did you keep running? To which Arquari replied, My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. So tonight, it's about finishing, not starting. Anybody can start the race. In fact, I've had friends start the race, but they haven't finished the race. And the Bible tells us that the race is not to the swiftest, but it's to the one that endures, that just keeps on keeping on. Somebody say amen. So let's look at this tonight. We have been studying in the book of Hebrews where the writer says, let us do certain things. There are commands, so to speak. They're not the Ten Commandments, but I guess they're Hebrew commands. Let us fear is the first one, lest we come short of a promise. I think the magnitude of that ought to fall in on us. Uh, we all have the promise of salvation. The call is to whosoever will. God calls all men to repentance. That is not a secret call. That is not a prejudiced call. That is not a call uh, regulated on how much money you have or don't have or what nation you're living in. The call to repentance is to every man. The promise of forgiveness is something that's given to every person. But, and there are many promises in the Word that are mine, and I need to fear lest I leave a promise unclaimed. I don't want any promise unclaimed to me. This ought to cause us uh, to, to uh, not so much fear in a negative way, but uh, obviously we, as we study that, it's, it's the respect of 
God's word and knowing that he's made a promise to us and entering into it. But not only that, does God make promises to a church or a group of people, but he makes promises to me. I, I want to I I fear that I might miss those promises. I want to do everything I can to make sure I claim those promises. The next one, let us strive to enter in. Let us labor to enter in. Uh, it, let it be a concern that you might miss a promise. And then the writer says, let's strive to enter into those promises. I want to labor to do that. I, I don't want to give my job or my hobbies the best of my efforts. I want the best of my effort to come in the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. The third one is let us hold fast our profession. You'll see this a number of times, this statement. Right in the middle of a number of let us commands, the writer says, oh, by the way, hold on. <laughs> Somebody say, hold on. Turn your neighbor and tell him, hold on. And then the fourth one, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. Amen. I'm thankful that we can come boldly into the presence of God. That we can find mercy and grace in the time of need. Chapter 6 verse 1 says, let us go on to perfection. We talked about this last week. It's time to grow up. It's time to realize that you need to quit the milk and start eating something a little more uh, solid. It's time to move from things that are candy sticks that when they preach about it, you don't even have to think about it. You can amen it. You, you believe it. But Paul said it's time to move on from these things. It's time to grow up. Somebody say amen. We'll hear more about that tonight. Hebrews 10, says, let us not only go on to perfection, but let us draw near with a true heart. Everybody say true heart. And we've discovered last week that that is really our, our will, our thoughts, and our emotions. And this is the way we ought to draw close to God. I'm here tonight not because I'm supposed to be here. I'm here tonight because I want to be in the presence of the Lord. Somebody say amen. It's more than an act of duty. It's uh, I will. This is a, a very important uh, concept. The, 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 the prodigal son in the middle of a pig pen, the first step home was not when he walked up on the porch to his daddy's house. The first step began when he said, I'm in a bad place. It's stinky and smelly and I'm starving to death. But I will arise and I will go unto my father and I will say unto him, it was an act of the will. <laughs> I refuse to stay here. I will go to the altar. I will worship God. I will trust in Him. I will believe Him. I know He's able. <laughs> Come on. It had nothing to do with your feelings. It has to do with what you will do. Come on. Somebody praise the Lord right now. I will. I will. And then last, again, the writer in 10.23 says, again, hold on. Everybody say, hold on. So twice in the middle of those triplets, he says, hold on, hold on, hold fast. Don't let go. Somebody say, don't let go. That leads us tonight to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews 10, verse 24. All these let us, all these commands that we should do in the New Testament church. 
here in Hebrews 10, 24. Let's read it out loud together. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Uh-oh, uh-oh. We've already got a problem. There's good works in the Bible. Uh-oh. This must be one of those nearly inspired versions. Because there's nothing about works in the Bible. You shouldn't do anything according to works, right? Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider one another. Everybody say that with me. Let us consider one another. That word consider means give thought, careful thought, or consideration to something. Give careful thought and consideration to something. Now, to fix the eyes of the Spirit on. Basically, it means to focus your attention upon something. Somebody say amen. Uh, it, it, it really has the connotation of watching for possible failures or weaknesses in a community. It has the connotation of not being unfriendly in motive. It's not uh, trying to be nosy to try to find out what somebody's failure is. No, the motive is because you care for one another. This is not about did you hear because you want to destroy somebody's character. This is about I, I'm concerned because I care for that person. I've heard a lot of gossip in prayer request time. Somebody said, well, you know, we used to give prayer requests. Yeah, and some of those were sinful. Because all we did was blab stuff nobody else needed to hear. Pray for so-and-so. I saw her smoking cigars down by the Red Dog the other night. Well, that's none of anybody's business, really. Pray for sister so-and-so is probably about all you needed to say. Sister Betty's getting, she's on fire right now. She's, I'm getting a little close to home. I don't know if it's cigars or the red dog, but she's starting to wipe her brow. I'm teasing. It's not with an unfriendly motive. It's because we care. Somebody say we care. We care for one another. And the connotation in this verse is keep on caring. Keep on caring. Let us consider. The word consider means keep on caring for someone with thoughtful consideration. Keep on caring for that person. Now, it says to care or to consider, and the term, the next few terms, the next two words are one another. Everybody say one another. Now, you say, well, who's one another? Is he talking about just everybody? Give careful consideration to one another. Well, the verse before says to hold fast to the profession of our faith. So he's obviously talking to those who claim to have faith. So the one another he's talking about are those of the faithful. Give careful consideration to those of the faithful. If you go into business with somebody in the church, uh-oh, be careful and consider one another, especially of the household of faith. Somebody say amen. That one another, there, there are definite instructions on how I'm to treat those who are not in the faith, but these are specific directions to those who are of the faith. 
And you must also consider tonight, this is a pastoral epistle. If you know anything about the book of Hebrews, it's a pastoral epistle uh, to a community whose faith was in danger. And we're not going to get into all that. We'll get into some of that. But this is a pastoral epistle or a shepherding epistle or letter to a community who there was some challenges to their faith and the writer says be careful give careful consideration to those that are in the faith somebody say amen I, I want to say something to you tonight I won't say who it is but uh, obviously somebody I have a close relationship with but this individual uh, was about to get married and they were about to uh, marry someone who was not uh, of the faith or in the apostolic way and uh, uh, we began to talk about it to some extent and this person uh, I didn't have an answer for this I did not have an answer for this when this person said to me you know what? What's odd is the fellas that I dated that didn't go to church treated me better than the fellas that were in church. I said, what do you mean? This individual went on to say, you know what? The people that didn't know God respected me more. That's a challenge. That's an indictment. That we ought to treat one another of the faith with careful consideration we shouldn't take advantage of the fact that we go to church together everybody all right you wouldn't think <laughs> you'd pay the bank back I'd said you'd pay the bank back but it's been years since you paid back what you told that fellow you were going to give him uh oh it's getting real quiet now let us consider one another. Let us give careful consideration to those that are in the faith. Well, I wouldn't say this to them because they know I'm in church. Well, don't say it to people that are in church. Well, I wouldn't treat them this way because I know I go to church, but I go to church with them. No, no, that's, that, it's very important that we treat one another in the way the Lord would have us treat one another. Somebody say amen. So what do we have so far? We're going to do this every once in a while tonight. So what do we have so far? Basically what we have is give careful thought and consideration to those of the faith. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I want to be considerate to you. Amen. Well, that's what we have so far. Let, let's look at it again. Let us consider one another. Now, the next part of that, to provoke unto love and good works. The term provoke, everybody say provoke. It is in the positive sense. It really is an act in the positive sense. It is an act of stirring up emotions, feelings, and responses. <laughs> now the Bible talks about provoking people. Is anything come to mind when I say provoke? Is there any scriptures that come up? Yeah, I knew there'd be some parents in here. There's a provoke not your children to anger. Don't provoke them to the point where they have seething anger. The word provoke means to stir up emotions or feelings or responses. I don't know if my mom read that verse. You know, it, we used to have a song in Sunday school, if you're happy and you know it, 
clap your hands, stomp your feet. Well, I, you know, I was mad, but I didn't want her to know it. What really, what really set my teeth on edge is when I'd hear that statement that said, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. Because I was hurting. I don't know if mom listens to the podcast, but my mother would have been arrested for child abuse. Putting marks on your kids. I just want you to, you know, the straightening up I got was with your pants down laying across the bed with the belt going across your legs. Marks? I still got some. I still got some. No, I really don't. There were times I didn't know if she's going to stop. But I'll tell you right now, that woman beat the devil out of me. Started to say something else, but I won't say that. Provoke. Everybody say provoke. In a positive sense, it's stir up somebody's emotion. Stir up their response. And that provoke can be positive and negative. Do you know in the negative sense, it has this, the, the connotation of an attack of fever. Anybody ever had a fever? You start fighting a virus? It, it also, the, the, the definition means a convulsion, almost like a, 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 a I forget what they call it, a seizure. Uh, this, is, this is the negative sense, provocation, to provoke someone. And it says to provoke one another to love. Everybody say unto love. Now that term, obviously, we need to understand what this term love is. This is a strong, non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good uh, as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by, listen, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights and privileges in another person's behalf. That means you love them so much that you'll forfeit your rights for them. I know some married couples that need to hear that. Uh-oh. That you'll say, honey, it don't matter where we eat tonight. Just so I'm with you. A lot less of my way or the highway and a lot more of I'll do anything for you, dear. Rights? I don't have any rights. I left my rights at the altar, honey. Uh-oh. It's... Love someone to the point, this is the, the, the provoke unto love. The connotation of that word in this verse means to, to forfeit your right for another person. Well, bless God, they said something, and it would have been on my mind all week. Bless God, I just, I just gave them a piece of my mind. What right do you have to do that? Forfeiting your rights for someone else's. Somebody say amen. Now, uh, this, is, this is very important because I think the last part of that, provoke unto love, forfeit your right for another. I think that is foreign to this 21st century that I'm privileged to pastor in. 
I believe we are in the last days. I am never more convinced than I am right now. And I, you know why? You'll hear more about it Sunday if God's willing that I get to preach. But I'll say this. It's not about what's going on in Israel. It's not about what's going on in the Euphrates River. It's not about Russia, Syria, and Persia that are named in Scripture. It's not about any of that. I don't need to read in time to know I'm in the last days. You know how I know I'm in the last days? The Bible says in the last days men will be lovers of their own selves I've never seen a more a, a, a greater danger of people right now just being in love with themselves Not, nobody else matters their whole world is on their digital device and what people like and what they can post and their world's about that little and nothing else matters are you hearing what I'm saying I know there's some interaction I understand that but but we've never had more of a dilemma than people loving them being self-centered self-centered it's about me so so well let's let's stop a minute what do we have so far what do we have so okay give careful consideration to those of the faith stirring up your friend to have affection and regard for another even to the point of giving up your rights giving up your rights for somebody else consider one another even to the point where you will give up your right for someone else. Wow, that's pretty challenging. Let us do that. Well, let's keep on reading Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another and uh, one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Everybody say good works. Now, this is very important, to provoke, to provoke to a good work. Now, that term good works uh, simply means moral excellence. A work is something someone performs for a moral or a legal reason. It's a deed or an action, an undertaking, a task. So it is to provoke someone to undertake moral excellence. There's nothing wrong with the church telling people to be morally excellent. There's not a thing wrong with preaching against sin and saying what the Bible says is sin. There's not a thing wrong with that. Somebody say amen. We need to hear it. We need somebody to provoke us to rise above the melees of this hour and be people that God wants us to be. To, to encourage somebody, to elicit a response that says, come on, you're made better than that. You're bigger than that. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. So, provoke one another to good works. Now, this is very important. Entice somebody to, to, to do something of moral excellence. Now, this is foreign to some religious circles today that say it has nothing to do with works, only faith. Well, righteousness is by faith, and I understand that. That's also in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. But this verse has no contradiction between the reference to good works here and the righteousness which comes by faith. I am made righteous not because I help enough old ladies across the street. I am not righteous because of what I wear or what I do or don't do. I am righteous by the blood of Jesus and that righteousness came by faith. Now what, 
what the writer here is now saying that because you are righteous by the blood of Jesus uh, if the Lord did clean you up then don't go jump back in the mud hole if the Lord brought you out then he wants you to stay out come on absolutely the context implies that good works are a natural consequence of having access to God on the basis of the blood. In other words, when I come boldly into the presence of the Lord, everybody all right? I'm coming before a holy God. I recognize that I have no access there without the blood of Jesus. So I do go boldly because the veil has been ripped in two. And I do recognize that I'm not worthy there. But when I get there, I want to be what He is. Now I can never be God and I'm never going to be on His throne. But there's something in me that says I want to I reach a place of moral excellence because God is holy. I want to be holy. Isn't that what the Bible says? Be ye holy, for I am holy. It's not about what the world's doing. It's about who God is. So, so when the nurse says, Mr. Gene, are you on any medications? And I say, I should be. No, I mean, are you taking anything on a regular basis? And I say, no, I'm not taking anything. You're not taking anything? I'm not taking anything. And the nurse goes, wow, you're a rare breed. Untainted blood here, sis. Don't worry about any complications as far as how it's going to deal with my medications. I'm not taking anything. Well, there may come a day I need something. I'm not saying that. Hello? Everybody okay? Yeah? So, so in this... In, in, <laughs> I think it's very important, saints of God, that we understand that we're not doing certain things because... We don't want to be like the world. I do certain things because I want to be like the Lord. And the fact of the matter is, we have to get to a point where we don't want our mind to be altered by any substance. No, you're not hearing me. We get to the point where we say, you know what? If my mind is altered, then I may not be able to have the mind of Christ. Okay. So, well, Brother Gene, you're just trying to be saved by works. You can't, you can't do certain things and be saved because you do. Absolutely. But you know what? There are reasons that I do what I do because I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And the Bible says the motivation for my action is because he is holy. I want you to think about that for a moment. That he calls you to be holy. Now, why if we were already declared holy, Christy, if we didn't have to do anything to be holy. Wait. If we didn't have to do anything to be holy. Why would God command us to be holy? If he's already declared us holy. 
He did declare us holy, didn't he? When we got saved, he declared us holy. We couldn't get saved otherwise. But then he tells us to stay in a, in a state of being holy. Now, that means that I can soil my garment. That means I can be in a, in a, in a place of, 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 of separation from God. I want to be holy because he's holy. Somebody say amen. I don't want to take a lot of time on that. But I do want to say that it's very important that what we do is very important. No, you're not saved by works. But bless God, you prove you are saved by what you do after that. Amen. So what do we have so far? Here we go. Let's look at this. Be especially considerate of those of the faith, stirring up your friends' emotions and feelings and responses to have affection for one another, even to the point of giving up their rights for another. And stirring up your friends' emotions, feelings, and responses to be morally excellent in everything they do. Wow. Let us do that. Let us encourage one another. Somebody say amen. Now, how are we supposed to do that? Man, how are we... What, what is the job description of how, we, we've got the job description of what we're supposed to do, but how are we supposed to do that? It's so detailed. Well, let's, let's jump to the next verse. How do we do it? Look at this. Now, we've quoted this part, but we didn't realize it was connected to the verse before it, where it says, provoke one another with, to love and to good works. Then he states, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Oh my. As the manner of some is. Somebody say amen. Uh, but exhorting one and I'm about to throw this microphone. I'm about to provoke this microphone. As the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. What this means is Paul has just told us to care for one another, to provoke one another to love and good works, to give up our rights to one another and to provoke one another to live moral and excellent lives. And then he says, don't forsake to come together. The mutual care that the author has commended to his readers in verse 24, care for one another. Treat one another with love and provoke one another to live holy, moral lives. He says that is to be done in a community where you meet regularly together to encourage and exhort one another. It does not happen in a vacuum. He doesn't say provoke. And I understand he didn't have it back then. Maybe if he would have had it, he would have said, just send somebody an, an email. Maybe he would have said, just stay home and everybody watch the, the broadcast, the live webcast. Just stay home and everybody uh, uh, tune in and send your tithe and offering to P.O. Box, whatever. But Paul didn't say that. He said, where this care happens is when you come together with God's people. <laughs> I know we sometimes think, well, I don't feel like going to church. And just, you know, sometimes I don't feel like going to church. But has it ever occurred to you that church attendance is not just about you? <laughs> 
has that dawned on you when you say, well, I'm not getting fed or I'm not getting anything out of church or nobody noticed that I missed? (laughs) We have been exhorted to give up our rights to one another, to consider others more than ourselves. And then he goes on to say, do this by consistently meeting together. By coming together, you are telling somebody, you're important to me. I don't know about... Clap your hands to the Lord right now. This, Brother Rob, I'm going to switch. Praise the Lord. Thank you. I, I, it's like crawfishing down my back and I'm tired of it. <laughs> Maybe that's the Lord pulling on my coattail. Somebody turn to your neighbor and tell them I'm glad you're here. No, t- tell them like you really mean it. I'm glad you're in church tonight. What that means is, it doesn't mean, well, I, a lot of us come to, well, I'm just here to get a blessing. Well, wait a minute. Maybe I'm here to provoke somebody else. Maybe I'm here to encourage somebody else. Maybe this service isn't just about me getting something. It's about me being in attendance because it shows that I love somebody. Hey, let me tell you what. I'm not here because I have to be. I'm here because I love this church. I'm here because there's people in this room that I love. I'm here because I love the Lord. And I, Paul said if you're going to provoke one another to give up your rights, then you shouldn't feel bad about showing up where those people are. I'm glad to go to church. Somebody say praise the Lord. We have just been exhorted to give up our rights, to treat one another with love, to provoke one another to good works. And then the writer says how it happens. It happens by you assembling together. In fact, the next two verses, verse 26 through 28, I'm not going to read, but it says the failure to assemble together is associated with apostasy. Now read the book of Jude if you want to know how serious that is. The writer is emphatically addressing something. There must have been people in the, in the Hebrew, in the letter that he's writing, there must have been people who thought, well, uh, there's a lot of pressure to not go, whether it was persecution or for some reason some have withdrawn from meeting together. He, the writer's not writing in a vacuum. He's addressing the issue. And maybe it was the threat of persecution or people were just getting self-centered. But whatever it was, the writer addresses the negative habit of of some people saying it's not important to go together with God's people. And the writer says, don't forsake that because that's where you're provoked to love one another. How do you know you love somebody? Well, you know what? I, I talked to somebody this week and said, you know, if I'd just been five days a week, you know, five days a week, eight hours a day in the same room with the same kids. There'd be some of us not like each other. 
If we all went on a camp out and stayed in the same dormitory for five days, we'd probably, uh, we'd probably f- provoke one another to love. We'd probably say, you know what? I didn't realize how much I didn't love him, and I've got to love him even more. It's, it's not that we, listen, love isn't love if you don't ever have to deal with somebody. Love only is love when it's been challenged, it's been through the ringer, it's been through the fire, and you come out and you say, you know what, we still love one another. So it doesn't happen when you stay home. Love is perfected when we come together. Everybody okay, man, you know what, I had this image tonight in my head. I I love the Word of God, and I had this image that I was going to be a professor tonight. And stay all calm, and folks, it's important that you come to church. Because when you come to church, it means you love one another. Sorry, just can't do it. Readers are called and exhorted to encourage one another, to help one another combat spiritual problems. And to do that, you've got to come together. Just in the simple act of joining together in the presence of the Lord causes a provocation to occur. It causes people to say, I can make it. There may be a moment in a service where somebody that walked in and said, I just don't feel like I can take another step. You may just be singing and worshiping God all by yourself, but somebody looks across the aisle and says, well, I know what they've been through, and if they can make it, I can make it. Come on. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if my worship is ever a provocation to anybody. I wonder if I'm ever stirring somebody up by worshiping God and saying, you know what, God's worthy anyway. I'm not sure I'm provoking anybody by sleeping through church. Oh, I'm stirring you up to good works. Me and Brother Aaron's enjoying this sermon tonight. I keep hearing him chuckle over there. Sister Sherry's getting red. We need to provoke one another. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I give you permission to provoke me. Provoke me to love and good works. You know, it does my heart good to see a ex-drug addict run the aisles. <laughs> see, I've never, I, my nurse said, have you smoked? And I said, well, no. And then, well, wait a minute, sorry. I said, to be honest, I was about nine years old and I found one in a ditch. <laughs> and I... <laughs> I decided, you know, there must be something to this. This must be pretty cool. This must make you awesome. And so I picked it up, and I got me some matches somewhere and snuck out in the garage and decided I was going to be cool and smoke that cigarette. And the nurse sitting there looking at me like, 
All I asked was, do you smoke? I said, you know, I lit that thing up and I took a big long drag on it and I about choked to death. My lungs were about to come out of my mouth and I thought, who in the world would want to suck that stuff into their lungs? She said, good job. That's what she said, good job. I said, so yeah, I've smoked once. I mean once. God's good. I need to come together. I've never, I've never one time been drunk, never. But it does my heart good to see Lester run around the church and say, the Lord delivered me from alcohol. That provokes me. You know what it does? It provoked me to stay away from alcohol. Because Lester's looked me in the eye and said, Pastor, I, I had a gun in my mouth getting ready to pull the trigger. You know what? I made up my mind. That provokes me to stay away from some stuff. When somebody testifies to me, it, whether it's in worship or in deed or in a service, doesn't matter when it is, it provokes me to want to live right. When I bury an old saint of God and I've, when I'm in their uh, hospital room and, I, and, and their spirit leaves that hospital room and I, you, can, you can feel the chariot of the Lord come in that room, I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. I wouldn't trade that. I stood by the bedside of somebody that didn't know God and it was as cold as ice. I'd much rather hear the wheels of the chariot of the Lord coming in that room. I felt that moment when heaven showed up. Come on, that provokes me. Do I want to stay home from church? No, because I need you to help me tonight. Come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. I need you to help me tonight. I was in Walmart Sunday night. Walmart was open, by the way. I had a pastor call me and said, did you cancel Sunday? I said, yeah, we did. The parking lot was a sheet of ice. He said, it must have been bad because you never cancel. I'm not not wearing it as a badge of courage. I'm just saying if Walmart's open, we're going to try to be open. But the parking lot was a sheet of ice. I got to have surgery because I fell down. Claim workman's comp. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Nurse said, is this a workman's comp case? I said, no, I'm a preacher. If it don't happen while I'm hollering, I don't get it. <laughs> so if I'm going to have appendicitis or a heart attack, it better happen while I'm hollering. <laughs> Oh, you guys bend over picking up a jug of water. Oh, I hurt my back. I get workman's comp. I don't know how I'm going to get that. I guess if I get really wild and jump over the pulpit, then I'll get workman's comp. Come on. Sister Alicia's point, she knows, I guess. she's. Is that right? I don't know. Let's talk about it later. Maybe I can get a settlement. Somebody say amen. I think it's, I think it's very important that, that we let the Lord know we're glad to be a part of His family. And there are times when the worship of God's people has encouraged me. 
I was in Walmart Sunday night, and they don't, they don't attend this church, but we're very good friends, and, and uh, they were walking down the aisle, and I was walking down there. I'm sorry, it was IGA, IGA, and I was walking down the aisle, and this lady said, oh, you got the day off today, didn't you? I said, oh, I'm a preacher. I get every day off. I don't ever work. Sit in the office, answer the phone, and drink, drink mocha all day. You got the day off today. <laughs> I wonder when you cancel church if people like go, man, I get a free day. I mean, being honest, whoo, I don't have to go put up with those people. I just go lay around in my sweatpants all day. I looked at my wife. I said, you know what? We hadn't done nothing today, have we? And she goes, speak for yourself. I've done laundry. I've... We've had a day of rest. Speak for yourself. I'm talking about church attendance, folks. It's important that we gather together. Paul said, because this is where provocation happens. In a positive way. We're not here making enemies of one another. No, we're here encouraging one another. Come on, you can make it. There's people in this room that's battled through cancer. There's people in this room that's battled through losing loved ones. There's people in this room that battle constant pain in their life. And here they are worshiping God. <laughs> that, encourages, that encourages us. That strengthens us. We, we need to accept it. We need, we need to appreciate it. Somebody say amen. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We are exhorted to come together. Everybody say, come together. Why? <laughs> so much more as you see the day approaching. What, the day. What is the day? Well, the day is the day of judgment. Folks, the writer says, all the much more as the day approaches, get to the house of God. You say, well, they didn't have churches back then. No, but you know what? They had a place to meet. Whether it was somebody's house or in a church building or in a synagogue, they met and they said, don't quit meeting together because this is where we provoke one another. And so much more, as you know, you are approaching the day of judgment. That means the closer I get to the end, the more I need God's people in my life. And then Hebrews 12.1, this is the next let us, and I close. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us, there are two in this verse, let us lay aside and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This is an astounding verse. The Lord's dealing with my heart about a message about the ending of chapter 11 in Hebrews and the beginning of chapter 12. But here's the short version. The writer says, we are surrounded by witnesses. The context is of spectators in a stadium watching an athletic contest. The writer implies that their role is passive. They're only there watching what's going on. The spectators 
he goes on to say in the end of Hebrews chapter 11, he says, the spectators who are in the stands cannot reach their goal unless the runners also reach theirs. Now that's huge stuff right there. That says those that have already completed the race do not get their prize until we finish the race also. So run. Run on. I'm not sure who's watching. I'm not sure. I've heard their encouragement. I have felt their encouragement. I'm not sure how they see what's going on or if they do. But the writer here implies that you were running before a coliseum full of spectators. Wherefore, seeing we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, it's time to run. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't let go of God. Get in the race and keep on running. Come on. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. The writer says, the writer says that those spectators, that they are not complete without us. Well, who are they? Well, if you read chapter 11, you find out who they are. (laughs) Read chapter 11. He lists all those Old Testament saints. He lists those that's gone on before us. And then he says, because you are surrounded by this great cloud, there's some things you need to do. Lay aside every weight and every sin. You've, you've probably seen the Olympics they're going on now. Of course, this is the Winter Olympics. It's not the summer. But in the Summer Olympics, you have all the track and field events. And the implication of this verse is an athlete who's about to enter a race. And he, he strips everything off that's going to impede his performance. He lets go of everything that's going to slow him down. In other words, somebody that's getting ready to run the race never says, Well, what's wrong with with this somebody that knows I'm about to enter a race I want to win the race never says why do I have to give up that no if you're going to serve God you say Lord whatever it takes whatever I got to let go of whatever I've got to put on the altar Because if you're going to run, you don't want to run impeded. You want to give a good performance. Lay aside every weight. The implication is of an athlete who is stripping everything off that will hinder his ability to run. The literal use of this terminology is found in Acts chapter 7 verse 58 where those who were getting ready to stone Stephen, remember what they did? They were getting ready to stone Stephen. And they thought, you know what? If we don't get rid of some of these garments, we're not going to do a very good job of stoning this guy. So the Bible says they stripped their garments off and laid them somewhere at the feet of a man named Saul. That's where the story starts. 
these men for a negative sense said we're about to kill a man and we want to do a good job of it so we better get everything off that's going to hinder us we got to let go of everything that's going to keep us from doing the job now that's exactly what the the intimation of the scripture is now we're not talking about killing people or stoning somebody but we're talking about making it to heaven we're talking about living for Jesus and the writer says take everything off that hinders you and weighs you down see this is where it connects with last week let us go on to perfection it's pretty easy for me to get up and preach against the things I don't like there used to be people preach against golf well when their grandchildren started playing it they just didn't like it well you know what We're not ever going to get to the place, and I'm going to say this to this mature group of people tonight. There are some things that are understood we've got to preach against. But I can't get up and preach against every weight in your life. Because for somebody in this room, it might be your job that's become a weight. It might be a relationship that has become a weight. It might be a hobby that has become a weight. And it may not be a weight for anybody else, but it may be a weight for you. And this is why the verse says, get rid of every sin and get rid of every weight. If it hinders you, let it go. Nothing's worth it. Nothing's worth losing the race over. In 1845, the ill-fated Franklin expedition sailed from England to find a passage across the Arctic Ocean. Listen to this. Here are some of the tombstones that mark their grave. This crew loaded their two sailing ships with a lot of things they didn't need. You can look it up yourself. Do the math. They had enough sugar on these boats for every person to have two and a half pounds of sugar every day. Why do you need two and a half pounds of sugar every day? No. They were loaded down with stuff that didn't matter. They're trying to find a passage through the Arctic Ocean. And they had a 1,200 volume library. Fine china. Crystal goblets. They found in the, in the excavation sterling silverware for each officer with their own initials engraved in the handles. Why do you need that? Amazingly, and this was the death nail. They took two and a half pounds of sugar for every man every day. But the ship took only a 12-day supply of coal for their auxiliary steam engines. All the other stuff mattered. The ships became trapped in a vast frozen plain of ice. After several months, Lord Franklin died. The men decided to trek to safety in small groups and began to walk across the frozen ice. But none of them survived. In fact, one story is especially heartbreaking. Two officers were found years later. They were pulling a large sled more than, they pulled a large sled more than 65 miles across an ice field. And when rescuers found their body, guess what was in the sled? What was in the sled was all the table silverware. And why do you need silverware when you're fighting for your life? 
I've talked to parents whose kids are having problems with the internet and I've said, take them off the internet for a while. And they, and they look at me like I'm a foreigner. They look at me like I'm talking in a strange language. And I say to them, it doesn't matter if it's going to cost them their soul. You're carrying around a bunch of silverware and you're dying. Enough sugar for every man to have a two-pound bag. And they died out there. In fact, when they found their bodies, they were so preserved. You can go on the internet and look at them. Dug their bodies up, they're mummified. They died with sugar and silverware and china. Listen, is there anything wrong with china with your initials on it? No. Is there anything wrong with two pounds of sugar a day? No. Anything wrong with silverware? No, I'm foolish to get up and preach against silverware. But I'm telling you, when you're fighting for your life, the silverware doesn't matter. While you're arguing about cars and homes and money and and, and raises and what do I get out of this, at some point you have to say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to be saved. command to lay aside various forms of hindrances and evil we are commanded to lay aside anything that ensnares us well brother gene don't preach against that yeah and i may never but you know what if it hinders you get rid of it right now if it's hindering you get rid of it well, I didn't find it in the Bible. You don't need it in the Bible. This is it. 12:1 Hebrews 12:1 Throw aside every weight. Get rid of it. Man, if the ship is sinking, throw the silverware overboard. Chunk the sugar, you don't need it. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Oh, let's lift our hands right now. Love the Lord. I, I feel his presence. Oh, I don't want to lay aside everything that would hinder me. I don't want to be carrying a bunch of baggage and it hinder me. I want to lay down my baggage. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The army of Alexander the Great was advancing on Persia. History says that at one critical point it looked like and appeared that his troops might be defeated. Alexander realized what the problem was. The soldiers had taken so much plunder from their previous campaigns that they had become weighted down and were losing their effectiveness in battle. They were so tired of marching when it came time for combat, they didn't have strength for the battle. And Alexander, being the wise, (laughs) he was the great, immediately commanded all of his soldiers to put all the spoils they had won out in front of them And as they piled those spoils up, his men went and picked them up. They gathered them in a heap and burned them. The story says that the men began to complain bitterly. But as they began to march and entered into the next campaign, they came to see the wisdom of the order. In fact, in history, somebody wrote of Alexander's army. They stated this, and I quote, It was as if wings had been given to us. We walked lightly again. Folks, maybe you're heavy because you're carrying too much stuff. (laughs) You need to learn to walk lightly. 
Hebrews 12 and 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Everybody say, lay aside. And then it says, let us run. Everybody say, let us run. Let us run means let us make progress. Not only implies effort, but primarily speed. It's not about competition. That's why it says the race is not to the swiftest. That's trying to tell you we are not competing with somebody else. But the fact of the matter is the writer says you need to run. That means don't do it lazily. Don't just go for a stroll. The implication is run fast. Run Why should you strip everything away that would hinder you for a leisurely walk? The writer is not saying throw aside every way so everything so you can just walk. No, the implication is you need to throw away stuff because you need to be built for speed. You need to run. And not only run, but run with patience. Everybody say patience. Everybody say patience. The word patience there doesn't have the implication of what we may think it does. The word, the word means the power to withstand hardship and stress. Run with the power to withstand hardship. Listen, folks, God wants soldiers in His army. I can make it. He's brought me through so many things. I'm going to keep on running. And I think I can run with patience. I think I can make it now. Hardships are going to come. Stress is going to come. But God helps us as we run. And, and I think it's important that we do what the writer says. Seeing that we're compassed about with all these witnesses. Throw aside everything that hinders you and run. Run to Jesus. I close. George Matheson wrote this. I thought it was appropriate. And I quote, We commonly associate patience with lying down. We think of it as the angel that guards the couch of the invalid. Yet there is a patience that I believe to be harder. The patience that can run. To lie down in the time of grief, he says. To be quiet under the stroke of adverse fortune implies a great strength. But I know of something that implies a strength greater still. It is the power to work under stress. To have a great weight at your heart and still run. To have a deep anguish in your spirit and still run the race. It is a Christ-like thing. The hardest thing is that most of us are called to exercise our patience. Not in the sick bed, but in the street. And then he closes by saying, to wait is hard. To do it with courage is even harder. Lord, help us run. 
I said, Lord, help us run with patience. Come on, let's stand together and let's let's pray all over the building. God's speaking to us. God's talking to us as a people. He's talked to us about not forsaking coming together because we need to provoke one another to love and good works. He's talked to us about laying aside things, about throwing down some things, about letting things go that don't matter. And then He gives us that command. Come on. It's time to run. It's time to run with patience. Come on, don't let anything hinder you. Run on. Come on, young people. It's time to keep running. Come on, saints of God. Don't give up. You've come too far to quit now. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 I love you, Jesus. Come on, reach over.